0: This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. This episode is about what I refer to as the research interview, but you could also simply consider it research-based networking. Let me explain this interviewing process. At its core, it is about networking. Networking, networking, networking. You know this is my mantra for physicians developing a career transition strategy for a non-clinical career. My advice and my objective with clients is always to get them into the room with those people they want to be working with or working for. And I'm speaking literally, literally in the same room. But how do you network when you can't attend events? Certainly You speak with people you know, you attend online conferences, you can blog. You can seek out thought leaders in your target industries and try to connect, perhaps through LinkedIn or some other forum. After all, at the end of the day, it is industry leaders you want to be meeting. But that can seem impossibly difficult, and again, particularly today, but it doesn't need to be. It's more easily accomplished than you might think at first. Consider it this way. Just like physician specialties, almost any group, and by group I mean interest group, professional group, or employment group, nearly every group has some process for meeting and congregating, usually around professional development topics or educational events. So if you're interested in being a medical science liaison or a healthcare architectural advisor, perhaps a public health research or population health specialist, Just about any field you can imagine, I can promise, nearly or perhaps virtually 100% of the time, you can find some conference, seminar, or program to attend. And by attending, you're now in the same room with those people you want to be working with and working for. That's the number one objective. Be present. After those meetings, I usually recommend a variety of other tactics to get more granular. You might say, in other words, your objective is to move from a room with 500 people in it to a room with five or two people in it. However, now, and I mean right now and for the foreseeable future, that is, Before travel, meeting, and congregating restrictions are eased, we, and by we, I mean you, need to turn this process upside down. Your objective needs to shift to beginning with those smaller groups. So how do you accomplish that goal? Well, a strategy I've employed and I've recommended for clients is what I call the research interview. A research interview is just that. It's an interview, but on the record, you are the interviewer, not the interviewee. That's right, you're the one wanting a job, but I want you to interview those people you want to be working with and for. You're turning the interviewing process upside down. But consider this, my version of conventional wisdom says this, every meeting, every conversation is, in part, an interview. This is how you turn the tables, and while, yes, you're interviewing them, you're also allowing them to interview you. No, they're not interviewing you for an actual job, but rather, they'll be interviewing you from the standpoint of your knowledge, your expertise, your demeanor, your bearing. They will be interviewing you in terms of how much expertise they believe you possess and how much value their conversation with you will bring to them. Got that? This is an opportunity to present yourself as an expert within the career field you're wanting to enter. Isn't that your real objective? Well, I think it is. Let's talk about how this is structured. First, here are the steps at a high level. I'll drill down after this. So step one, you might say, is back to the concept. The concept is this. You're going to conduct an industry research project for the purpose of developing a monograph or white paper you will present to journals, magazines, online outlets, blogs, literally any number of publication resources, depending on and driven by your topic and your industry. In other words, there is not just one place for publication. Further, you may, depending on the content, scope and the focus of the work, seek conferences in the future, and other opportunities to present your work in person. Now, if you're low on a risk-taking scale, and it makes you a bit nervous to tell an executive you're planning to publish the work when you're not sure anyone would want to publish it, then devote some time to identifying, if not confirming, avenues for publication and use of what you produce. That, too, is a fairly easy pitch to just about any physician or healthcare-focused publication or journal. You just request a publication's unsolicited manuscript criteria. It may even be published online. Have an outline of what you plan to produce and ask if they would be interested in reading or reviewing your work for publication once you finish. Mostly, only established and known authors can secure anything close to a publication guarantee for unsolicited work, so expect to jump through a few hoops in order to find an interested publishing organization. Now, to produce this work, you require input from industry experts, named or anonymous, You will offer to provide them with pre-publication text of your work, and if they're interested, you would be willing to deliver your results in your presentation format at a meeting, virtual or in person, to the appropriate work group within the interviewee's organization. Does that sound interesting? You're producing a piece of work of interest in the industry, and you're offering to both preview and present it to the leaders you interview as well as to their teams. Stop and think about this. Right now, you're probably trying to figure out how to get an interview or how to simply get a response to the online application you submitted. Am I right? But what I want to do is put you in the virtual room with those people you can't even get to return a phone call today. And you'll be invited into that room because you're seen as an expert, ready to impart interesting or important information to them. So which would be your preference? Do you want to spend the next year or two begging for jobs? Or do you want to walk into a boardroom meeting as a designated expert who just interviewed the boss? I'm betting you'd prefer to be the expert. After all, isn't that what you do every single day? Every single day, multiple times per day. Yes, you're an expert. You talk like one, you act like one. Now you're just exchanging the exam room for a boardroom. Again, step one is to simply appreciate the process, both literally and figuratively. Step two What are you going to research? What are you going to write about? I have this conversation so often with clients, uh, their first objection, and yes, just like every patient wants to object to or question nearly every treatment or procedure you recommend, all my clients object to being nudged outside their comfort zones. And at first, just because most have never done anything like this before, it is outside their comfort zones. And it's likely outside yours. Their first objection is that they have no idea what represents a novel, life-changing research topic in their chosen industry. Well, here's a simple fact. You don't need to be novel or life-changing. You only need to be interesting. Second, when I say research, I know you're thinking bench research headed for a peer-reviewed publication. I'm thinking that if I stop five people on the street and ask them to choose From three shades of blue to describe the sky, well, I just conducted opinion research on the perceived color of the sky. See where this is going? You don't want to overthink this. Don't do that. As a further fact, things that are novel and life-changing generally require considerable research and background work, not just by you, but by the people you're interviewing as well. You don't want to make them work. You want this to be easy, perhaps even fun for them. So, as you consider your topics, think of them this way. Think of lists. We all love lists. The top five, the top ten. Lists can be easy, and lists can be purely opinion. How hard is it to have an opinion? If anything, we all have way too many opinions. So, settle on your topic. Be able to describe it in one or two sentences, And and I mean that literally. If it takes a page to explain your topic, you're really overthinking this. You're making it too difficult for yourself as well as for those people you want to interview. Now, you have your foundation for developing your questions. Develop eight to 10 questions, and again, think lists. That is yes or no, ranking on a Likert scale. Choose one, A through E, never too many choices, or do a ranking, but again, a short list. This will be by phone. Keep it simple. Make it easy to understand. Go out and test it on a friend or a family member. If they're having trouble remembering your list or understanding your instructions, make it simpler. Step three, develop your target list of interviewees. Who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to interview? My advice is to first consider you may need to start, stop, and restart your project. I'm saying this because I don't want you to get turned down for an interview three times and scrap your work. Ideally, your target list would be people who could hire you. You want people at a level just above the level you want or expect to be working. Don't go too high. That can backfire. I I, I have stories of clients who thought scoring a meeting with the CEO was a home run, and it often didn't turn out that way. Certainly, company size and hierarchy comes into play in making your decisions, but again, if you target a person who can hire you, that's a good start. Regardless, your fallback is to the level of people you would be working with, your peer group. Concerning number, honestly, the more people you speak with, the more powerful your work will be considered, not to mention the more valid and the more contacts you will have made in the process. Five opinions are just that perhaps five interesting perspectives that may either agree or disagree with one another. 10 industry leaders can represent actual industry thought. Well, 15 or 20, well, you've tapped into industry leadership and significant opinion, regardless of the actual topic. And seriously, You could find a publication outlet if you surveyed the top 50 pharma executives on whether they preferred a standard or automatic transmission in their cars. It probably won't score you a boardroom presentation unless the compensation committee is looking for a special bonus for the CEO. So do think in terms of questions that can present a broader industry perspective that would be of interest to others. But realize there can be interest in a wide, wide very wide range of topics and issues. Consider this example. Whether you decide on statistical research or more of an opinion piece, it's up to you and may be better determined by the industry and the career focus you've selected. Again, for example, as Accountable Care Organizations, ACOs, grow and expand as important players in the healthcare market, you might envision yourself as an ACO CEO. In that case, developing an article on the pros and cons, the values and challenges of physician leadership in the ACO environment could be an easy pitch to many healthcare magazines as well as a very plausible pitch to a healthcare system CEO tasked with the challenge of starting or running an ACO in his or her organization. However, if you wanted to work more at the operational levels of an ACO, you might want to construct a statistical research approach, one that centers on what is perceived as the best ACO specialty compositions, perhaps what types of savings organizations anticipate via the ACO model, population management objectives, and other elements that lend themselves to a more operationally quantifiable metric. Another truism I often say And I've said this many times, and I'll say it many more, form follows finance. If you can link your work to financial topics, have a financial premise or outcome, you'll have more interested parties wanting to know the results. Now back to process. In either case, you have the basis for a very thorough discussion with a leader in the industry you want to enter. But better yet, you have a reason to speak with them again and perhaps again and again. And beyond that, not only requesting, but expecting to have them refer you to others in their organization or in complementary organizations becomes a given. After all, you are conducting research, and you need to speak with many people to establish a credible piece of work. That will take you through production, so to speak. However, at each juncture, each interview, your last question is this. Would you like to see the results when I'm finished? Expect an affirmative response and inform them that you would be happy to not only provide them with your finished material, but you'd be happy to present it to their team and others as they may request. Now you're the expert. Stop and consider. As you first walked through the executive's door, you were the unknown, seeking information and hoping to expand your knowledge. When you walk through that same door with your finished work, you are now the expert, there to educate and inform them. You're positioning yourself as someone they may want on their team. Good job. Step four in our process, let's develop a compelling stump speech, a phone script, and an email. It's doubtful you'll pick up the phone, call the president of Pfizer, and say, hello, Albert, Dr. Smith here. I've got a few compelling questions for you. Do you have a few minutes? So be prepared for a bit of a challenge to make your contacts. First, Draft your stump speech. For this situation, categorically think of it this way. Who you are, what you've done, a synopsis of your research proposal, and what specifically you wish from the interviewee. That is, to answer your questions. If the answer is no when you present this, then explaining that you will make the results available to each interviewee may help. Otherwise, save that offer and the offer to further present until the conclusion of your conversation. Also, appreciate that during an initial conversation, you may not speak directly with your targeted individual, but rather with a screening person. Also, that you will likely need to schedule another call for the actual interview. And it's highly likely a copy of your questions will be requested before they make a commitment. Don't be surprised if you're asked if they may simply answer the questions and send you the responses. Your your answer to that question is no, as some context to the answers is necessary in order to present the clearest possible picture. After you've written this information down, you can then draft it into a phone script format and into a cold call email. My suggestion is to look for an email avenue as a first contact directed at your target individual. To do this, I suggest you call the office, which may turn into several phone calls to actually land in the right location, and then ask if you can send an email describing your project to the targeted person. Then when you speak with either your target person or his or her support staff, you'll be saying the same nearly exact information. It's important to be consistent. You don't want one person to hear one thing and another something completely different. And realize that small differences in definition and description to you may easily be perceived as far greater differences by those you're speaking to. When the actual interview day arrives, have your house in order. If possible, schedule the call as a video call. Again, you're networking. You want to see and be seen. You want to actually meet people whenever possible. You may ask if FaceTime or Skype would be an acceptable platform, but also be aware of WhatsApp, WeChat, Zoom, and others that your target person may suggest. Today, and again, literally today, many people are working from locations other than their offices. However, even in the office, many people continue to use their cell phones. What this means is this. Have your studio set up. As I said, have your house in order. Do you have a studio, an office, or some incidental workspace? I produced a podcast called Are You Ready for Prime Time? Tips for Video Interviewing. You may want to listen to that. Begin your interview with your stump speech. Endeavor to establish a rapport. Do some background research on your target to learn what that person likes. Perhaps something the company is involved in that is complimentary or might benefit from your research. Then dive in. You should have your questioning time to take no more than 20 to 30 minutes. Remember, these are busy people, so make sure you accomplish your goal before they shut down the conversation. However, if the targeted person wants to talk further afterward, that's great. That shows interest and possibly a connection. Now is the time to talk about sending a draft for review and talk about your plans to convert the survey and the findings into a possible presentation for a professional group. You can say at this point, depending on the results, that may be something your team would be interested in hearing. Key word here is hearing, not reading, not receiving, but hearing. But that's something we can talk about later if you wish. Close by saying you will send a pre-publication draft, and you will check in to see if your targeted person has any comments or questions at that time. Now you're collecting data, drafting a compelling document, and working to turn that document into a presentation. You've opened communications channels with several, hopefully many, industry leaders. You may have a published work in a respected publication in the works. At the very least, you can publish it on your own LinkedIn page and link it with Twitter and Facebook. And you have the basis to submit an inquiry to present at a couple of professional programs next year. Again, great work. Successful networking is about leverage. It's about taking one meeting or one conversation and expanding that meeting or conversation into many, many more meetings and conversations. Networking is about follow-up. Networking is about building relationships. I'll tell you a brief story. I used to work with a fellow who fancied himself as an expert salesman and a master networker. He constantly went to networking gatherings, educational and professional meetings, and every after-hours mixer he could find. The next day, after every one of these events, it would be the same thing. He'd come striding back into the office with a big smile, dropping comments about what a great event he attended or who he had met and how many people he'd had a conversation with, He always did the same thing. He'd catch someone's attention and he'd say, look at this, as he pulled dozens of business cards out of his jacket pockets. Look at all these contacts. Well, unfortunately, he didn't grasp the most basic element of networking. An initial contact that doesn't have a next step, doesn't have some opportunity for follow-up, well, that's not really networking. And he rarely followed up with any of those people he met. And he even more rarely ever sold anything. The research interview provides you not only an initial list of potentially high-value contacts, but more importantly, follow-up is baked into the formula. What you may find is that based on the quality of your research, the scope or focus of the material, your primary contact, your target, asks you to share this information with others, to speak formally or informally with other team members. Your constant question, sometimes out loud but always to yourself, is this. Who's next? Who else should I be talking with? Who else might be interested in the information I've produced? And as you ask that question, you're building relationships all along the way. As I always say, the currency of network is simply more networking. The more and better you build strong networking relationships, the faster you'll have the non-clinical career you want. The research interview can be a great place to start. If you have questions or comments about this podcast or any information we've produced, don't hesitate to contact me directly at 720-339-3585. That's for voice, message, or text. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening.